from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Man, that can be a scary verse if used out of context. It's, it's, it was even in uh, one of my favorite movies. I'll say I'm not trying to uh, slam it in any way. God's not dead. Uh, really good movie. Everyone should see it. I, I love it. And uh, I, mean, I think I've watched it like 10 times each of the uh, episodes. So or each of the, uh, the versions of it, one, two, and I think three. Um, but anyway, all that aside is, look, sometimes we take these verses and we elevate them up and they sound really good. They make for an amazing sermon that scares everybody to feeling like, ooh, well, what if uh, what if God has given me much and uh, a lot is required of me? And what if I fall short? And what if I don't meet those demands? And look, if we're Christians, yes, let's get out there. Let's serve the Lord Let's exude Jesus Christ as his goodness and his kindness as we, we love on other people. Um, we wouldn't teach anything different than that. But it is important that we, we don't take these verses and say, yeah, there's God doling out yet another threat to his children. Nowhere in all of scripture, hear me, nowhere in all of scripture does God ever threaten Christians. He doesn't threaten a slap on the wrist a little paddling or whatever. Christians are safe, they're secure, and God loves us and adores us. And that includes when we do some pretty stupid things. And some of us certainly do, at least the honest ones. So what's going on here? We get into this uh, Luke chapter 12, and it says for who, you know, for everyone who has been given much, much will be required. Well, let's look at the context here. So if you rewind in Luke 12 and you start reading this, we're seeing some pretty uh, scary stuff coming out, right? I mean, it's just like, yeah, I'm coming after you. You better be ready. It's not going to be a good day. And it's so concerning that Peter stops in verse 41 and he says, Lord, are, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone else as well, right? He's trying to figure out, this is some really concerning words. And what I want you to notice is there's two groups of people in this parable. There's one group is the guy who is ready. And the other group is the guy who is not ready, right? Now, be honest with ourselves. Are we, look, if there's somebody out there teaching that the way we are ready for the coming of the Lord is by getting out there working and trying and doing more and being more, or we get there by avoiding sin, run for the hills. They're a liar. They're part of a cult, and they're teaching a doctrine that is very, very unhealthy. The way we are ready is by recognizing we're a sinner, that we cannot be found righteous through our best human effort. We are ready by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and trusting in him. So again, we see two groups of people, and there's two different outcomes that are going to happen. I notice he says in verse 42, he says, and the Lord said to him, uh, when this faithful and sensible steward, whom his master will put in charge of his servants, to give them their nations at the proper time, here's this first group, blessed is that slave whom, now again, it's a parable, right? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds 
uh, so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But, but there's another guy I'm getting ready to talk about. The first guy, what? He's blessed. He's going to be in charge of all his possessions. But then this other guy, verse 45, if that slave says in his heart, my master will take a long time to come. And this guy begins to beat the other slaves. Then the master of that slave will come, verse 46, on the day that he does not expect it. What's happening? This is judgment day. We're all going to have, you're going to take your last breath one day. And you don't know the hour and you don't know the day. But on that day, he comes, he does not expect, verse 46, and at an hour that he does not know, I want you to notice what he's going to do to this guy, right? Remember, the context here is this person has been given much. What's much? The gospel. Jesus Christ died on a cross and much is required. What's required? That you put your faith in Jesus, that you believe, that you receive that forgiveness. But if you don't, so again, what's going to happen to this guy? Is this some like, yeah, you're going to be in trouble? He will cut him in two. Now, does that sound like something Jesus is doing? What did Jesus do about our sins for those who have called on him? He's taken them away. He remembers them no more. He poured out his blood on the cross for our sins. Now, does that mean we should go sin? No, we're not teaching that garbage. But let's not water down the gospel and the good news of the cross. Our sins indeed have been taken away. The Bible says that Jesus is the propitiation, which means to satisfy a deity. If God is satisfied with the payment Jesus made for our sins, let's stop trying to take verses and use them against the children of God. Because cutting someone in two, look, the wages of sin is death, right? This guy's being cut in two. We will cut him in two and assign him a place where? With the unbelievers. Why? Because he's an unbeliever. This isn't a believer being assigned a place with the unbelievers. He's going with the group that he belongs with. And that slave who knew his master, who knew his master's will, what is the will of God? That all will turn and all will come to God, all will believe and all will be saved. Um, and that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accordance with his will will receive many blows. Now, does this sound like this guy's sins were forgiven? Oh, Jesus died for your sins. But if you still sin a little bit more, God's going to cut you in half and punch you several times in the face. Guys, it's not the gospel. But the one, uh, but the one who did not know it and committed the acts deserving of a beating right? We'll receive only a few blows, right? And then it goes into this, for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. Now, the scriptures tell us that God is not served with human hands as if he needed anything. The scriptures tell us if we could be made righteous through the law, then Jesus died needlessly. What are we looking at here? We're looking at a picture of life under the law. You better be ready. I don't know when I'll take my last breath. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. But I know this. If I'm not in Christ, I'll be cut in two, as the parable says. I'll be thrown into the fiery pits of hell, right? There is 
pending condemnation, right? If we're not in Christ. And that's what this verse is about. Remember, keep in mind that Romans chapter eight, verse one says this, therefore, talking about believers, there is now, right now, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if there's no condemnation, how do we turn around and say, yeah, but if you mess up a little too much, God's going to cut you in half and you're going to receive several blows. I can promise you a blow from God is going to be a whole lot worse than some dude on the street hitting us in the face. You don't want to have a blow from God because you won't recover from. What do we know from 1 John 4.18? He says, there is no, remember, is this guy being punished? He's cut in half. He's getting several blows from God. Can we agree that's punishment? I mean, what else is it? 1 John 4.18 tells us this. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Now, by the way, if I'm going to be cut in half and I'm going to be receiving blows from God, there's a lot of fear. So the verse continues, but fear, because fear involves punishment. Absolutely. If you're going to be punished by God, you are going to be fear. So again, it says there's no fear in love, but perfect love drive out, drives out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. And I say to you, the one who says that uh, Luke 12 is about punishment for Christians and being sawed in half and be receiving the blows from God, that person fears and that person is a liar and the truth is not in them, right? They do not have the spirit of grace in them, right? We've been saved. Our sons have indeed been completely and totally taken away. Does that mean we should go around sinning, lying, cheating, stealing? Of course not. There's a lot of people out there who, when they hear this message of forgiveness, when they hear grace, when they hear sins taken away, remember no more, what they hear, their ears hear is, so you're saying sin doesn't matter. So you're saying we can just go do whatever we want. And they're asking the wrong question. The question is, did the cross work? Yes or no? The question is, if we are totally forgiven and all things are permissible and all things are lawful, the Apostle Paul said, the question is, well, what do you really want to do with that freedom? Will we be pleased and find joy rolling in sin or will it always leave us empty and miserable? The truth is, God said he gave us a new heart. He gave us new desires, right? He put his spirit in us. He's guiding us and counseling us. And while some of us will at times make some pretty stupid decisions, the reality is we can trust our new heart. The reality is we can trust grace. The reality is we can trust this once saved, always saved salvation because Jesus is our anchor. So my advice at the end of this is if anyone is reading any verse anywhere in the Bible that is being applied as a method of saying, so you Christian, you better be on your best or else. Run for the hills. They don't understand the gospel. They don't understand the love of Jesus. They don't understand the cross. And they can pound their chest and they can brag and show off. Look at me. Look at how awesome I am. You got to be like me so God doesn't come get you. Who is he focusing on? Who is he or she focusing on? They're focusing on themselves, right? When I stand before God, I don't want to hear the words, I never knew you, which that other person will. I don't want to hear the words, I never knew you, depart from me you worker of evil deeds. Of course, this is referring to an unbeliever. I don't stand before God and say, God, didn't I do all this? Didn't I do that? 
I'm so awesome. I'm going to stand before God and say, man, Lord, it was all about you. Didn't you do this? Didn't you die on the cross? Didn't you take away my sins? Didn't you do it all? Didn't you give your life so I could have life? You did it all. I didn't do anything. All I did was said, yes, sir. Yes, Lord, I receive. I believe what you have said. I believe the cross, the death, the resurrection. I believe it all. I receive it. And I will not stand before you and brag. If I boast, I will only boast in you. And trust me, guys, there's a lot of people out there using these verses incorrectly. They're pounding their chest. They're boasting in themselves. They want you to doubt your salvation. They want you to feel like the cross is not enough. And so they pull out, they cherry pick these verses, and they want you to live in fear and in terror that God just might change his mind, that the cross isn't enough, that you are walking on eggshells, that every day you could go from being perfectly saved, a child of God, to God eh, basically uh, denouncing himself as your father, denouncing that the cross took away your sins, and instead changing his mind and just pouring his punishment and his wrath on you. That's not the gospel. The good news is this, before we close, is Jesus indeed loves us. He indeed died on the cross and he proved it that while we were sinners, while we were utterly rejecting him, he says, I'm going to a cross. I love these people. I know who they are. They're liars, cheaters, swindlers, adulterers, but I will die on the cross. And all they need to do is believe the message. Believe in me, trust in me, believe that I have the power to take away their sins. And guys, let Jesus do the change. Right? We don't change people by scaring them. That's crazy. The scripture says this. There's no punishing Christians. There's no scriptures, I'm sorry, that are threatening the punishment of Christians. So what do we do if we want somebody to change if they're making poor choices? How about we show them Jesus? How about we remind them of their new identity in Christ? How about we let Jesus do the changing? How about we just tell them, man, is this really fulfilling you? We don't need to scare Christians to get them to change. That's not the way to do it. It's recognizing that Jesus made you right. He made you clean. He made you close. It is grace that leads us to repent. And it's time we stop twisting up God's word of messages to unbelievers in an attempt to sabotage and hijack the grace that God has poured out in his children. Hope you enjoyed that. God bless you all.